going to be looking at selections from Acts 3 through 6 this morning for the sermon. Sam asked me to read 2 Corinthians 5, 16 through 21 before we begin. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Uh, Father, I ask that you would use your word as it pleases you. Father, that uh, you would guide my mouth as I present the word of God to your people. And Father, I pray that if it be your will, that you might use this word this morning to save souls, whether it be by someone repenting and trusting Christ this morning or compelling faithfulness to believers to share the resurrection of Christ, the good news of the gospel with others in their life. Lord, I pray this in Christ's name. Amen. A few weeks ago, uh, my family had the privilege to go on a trip, a family trip to Florida. And on the plane, uh, there's a little TV on the seats in front of you, and you get to pick uh, what movie you want to watch or what game you want to play. And I picked a British war film called 1917 that was directed and produced by Sam Mendes. It was partially inspired by stories told to Mendes by his grandfather, Alfred, about his service in World War I. Uh, as you know, much of the warfare in World War I was trench warfare. They would dig hundreds of miles of trenches, and the soldiers would uh, move throughout those trenches so that they would have cover. And uh, the film takes place after the German retreat to the Hindenburg Line during Operation Alberich. In the film, General Edamore orders two lance corporals, one named Blake and the other Schofield, to make the dangerous trek across no man's land. Now, the German line is not very far away. No man's land is this uh, 
gap where there's no trench, where you would have to run on top of the ground, total destruction everywhere, no grass, no trees growing. And they were sent to go on this trek to deliver an important message to the commanding officer, Colonial McKenzie, in order to call off a doomed offensive attack which would kill almost 16,000 men. So the entire movie is these two men given this message that if it fails to get there, it means the destruction of 16,000 British soldiers. What a call. The beginning of that movie, the call comes to make the trek. What a mission. What a privilege to be asked to deliver that call. But, oh, what a responsibility that was laid on these two men and what danger lay in front of them. As they made their trek, exhaustion, injury, so many fears stood before them that would tempt them to just hunker down, to stop. But the privilege and the responsibility of the message to deliver was so weighty they must move on. At one point, Blake says to Schofield, taking the Lord's name in vain, why in God's name did you choose me to go with you? And you should ask God as a Christian, recognizing your responsibility, this same question, and then hear God's answer to you. Brothers and sisters in Christ, Jesus seems to be like a genie in a bottle to many in the church today. What do I mean by that? Jesus grants the sinner what we desire most. Forgiveness. Eternal life with God. Christ gives us the greatest things. And so the disposition of most Christians, and I think I'm being charitable here, is thankfulness. Thank you, God, that I need not go to hell because there's been a sacrifice in my place. Thankfulness is good. And thankfulness is right. That's a right disposition. But when the disposition of the Christian ends there, it reveals an important deficiency or sickness of the soul of that Christian. If that disposition of thanks, 
thankfulness isn't also accompanied by the weighty call to fulfill a commission, to fulfill a mission, to love one another and proclaim the good news of Christ to the nations, then here's the mistake we've made. We have forgotten that Christ is not only Savior, but He's, what what am I going to say? Lord. Jesus Christ is my Lord and Savior, is the confession of the Christian. And my question is, are you merely a thankful believer who has a Savior whose name is Christ, or are you also a thankful believer who has been given a weighty message and a weighty mission and a weighty commission in which is given to us so that we're stewards that we'll give an account for. And it's my prayer that you're thankful for the grace of God. You will not be saved by one work you do. But oh, let it be said of you and of me that we not only receive salvation, but we've listened to the call. And we've heard the mission and the power of the resurrection lives inside us so that boldness and passion and drive and purpose is seen in our life. The Apostle Paul was this sort of Christian. Romans 1.13 He said, I am under obligation both to the Greeks and to the barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish. So I am eager to preach the Gospel to you also who are in Rome. He's under obligation, not a sort of duty of, do I really have to do it? But under the type of obligation that makes him eager to get to Rome and proclaim the Gospel of Christ. In Acts 20.20, Paul, speaking to the Ephesian elders, said, I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public and from house to house, testifying both to Jews and Greeks of repentance towards God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And now behold, I am going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me that in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. But I do not account my life as of any value or as precious to myself. Now listen to this. If only I may finish my course and the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. He says, I know I'm going to die. He knows he's going to lose his head. But only that I could finish the course, the ministry that's 
been given to him. Charles Spurgeon says, there is somebody in the world whom you have to bring to Christ. I do not know where he is or who he is, but you would better look out for him. The text that Scott read, 2 Corinthians 5.17, listen to this. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, emphasis on the word anyone, not just pastors, not just evangelists, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation, the old has passed away, behold, the new has come. All this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, Christian. It's been handed to you. The message has been put in your hand. That is, Christ, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to Himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. You are Blake and you are Schofield, except God has handed you the message. And then he says this, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. And then he shares the gospel. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Sinner, your biggest problem is this. You don't have righteousness. And not only do you not have righteousness, you're a sinner. You're in rebellion to God. All of us are. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But there was one man who never sinned and his name was Jesus Christ and he lived a perfect life. And he lived that perfect life. He's the second Adam who came along and never fell where Adam fell. And He came for this purpose to go to the cross and carry your sin and my sin to that cross so that if you'll trust in Him, you no longer have to live under the wrath of God. Because when Christ was on the cross, God the Father poured out His wrath for sin in your behalf. And when you trust in Christ by faith, you recognize He is your only hope. Jesus' righteousness is put in your account and your sin is wiped away. Not shuffled under the rug, but paid for by Christ. That's the message that we've been given and that He raised three days later and is seated at the right hand of God. Most Resurrection Sundays usually involve reading the account of the death and resurrection of Christ from one of the Gospels. This year, we're going to take a different approach. We're going to look at the newscasters. The people like you and like I who've just seen the resurrected Christ, who have just been given the mission. And we're going to look at how they speak the gospel. And we're going to look at how the Holy Spirit gave them supernatural boldness. And hopefully we will grab the torch that they carried 
and will be faithful to share the news that this broken world needs to hear. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Acts chapter 1, verse 6. This is going to be a little bit of a unique sermon in that I'm just going to read uh, large sections of the uh, chapters 3 through 5 of Acts. We'll skip some parts. And as we read, as you can see the four points in your sermon notes there, I want you to look for the mission. We're going to look at the message. We're going to look at what they said and how they said it. We're going to see the privilege that they felt in being called to carry this gospel. And then we're going to see the suffering they suffered in this incredible mission that they were given. But before we jump to chapter 3, look at Acts 1. Right as Christ ascends into heaven, right before that, we read in verse 6, So when they had come together, they asked Him, Lord, will You at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know the times or the seasons the Father has fixed by His own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be My witnesses. There's the mission right there. In Jerusalem, in all of Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And then Jesus ascends into heaven. And the angels say, what are you looking at? You have a mission to accomplish when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And as we turn to chapter 3, we see that these apostles were given the same type of miraculous power as Christ had. Look at verse 1. Now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, or at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour, and a man lame from birth was being carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple that is called the beautiful gate, and asked alms of those who were entering the temple. Seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms, which is financial help. Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John, and said, look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I have no silver or gold, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up, and immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. And leaping up, he stood and began to walk and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God and recognized him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple asking for alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement 
at what had happened. While he clung to Peter and John, all the people, utterly astounded, ran together in the portico called Solomon's. This is Solomon's porch, the east side of the temple outer gate. And when Peter saw it, he addressed the people. Peter is saying something. A sermon is starting. The sharing of Christ is beginning. Here's what he says. Men of Israel, why do you wonder at this or why do you stare at us? As though by our own power or piety we've made him walk. The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers glorified his servant Jesus whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release him. But you denied the Holy Righteous One and asked for a murderer to be granted to you and you killed the author of life whom God raised from the dead. What's the message like? You killed. You asked for a murderer. God raised him from the dead. The preaching of the gospel requires the preaching of man's sin and man's fallenness and man's need for repentance. And if you can put yourself in Peter's shoes, they all gather around. You killed the author of life and God raised him up. That takes courage and that takes boldness. And then he says at the end of verse 15, to this we are witnesses in his name by faith in his name has made this man strong whom you see and know. And the faith that is through Jesus has given this man perfect health in the presence of all. And now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance as did also the rulers. Your rulers weren't very smart and neither were you. You acted in ignorance. But what God foretold by the mouth of the prophets that Christ would suffer he is thus fulfilled. So when you preach the gospel, when you share the message, what you point to is that Jesus Christ fulfilled what the Old Testament prophets said He would fulfill. And here's what's required of them. Verse 19, Repent therefore and turn back that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord that He may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus, whom heaven must receive until the time for restoring all things about which God spoke by the mouth of His holy prophets long ago. Moses said, now he's pointing to Old Testament prophets, the Lord God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your brothers. You shall listen to him and whatever he tells you. And it shall be that every soul who does not listen to that prophet shall be destroyed from the people. Preaching the gospel of Christ is preaching that if you reject it, there will be destruction. And then verse 24 says, And all the prophets who have spoken from Samuel 
and those who came after him also proclaimed these days, you are the sons of the prophets and of the covenant that God made with your forefathers, saying to Abraham, and in your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. God, having raised up his servant, sent him to you first to bless you by turning every one of you from your wickedness. You're wicked. You killed him. You need to repent. And God in his love has sent Christ to you. At first glance, let's, let's admit, the message we've been handed is one that'll take courage to deliver. It will take spiritual Holy Spirit power to deliver because it begins to get scary in chapter 4. You have to put yourself in the shoes of Peter and John. They're real people like you and I. And these are real leaders that people really look up to. And look at what it says in verse 1 of chapter 4. And as they were speaking to the people, the priests, the spiritual leaders, and the captain of the temple, and the Sadducees came upon them. Uh-oh. The authorities are gathering around. And they came upon them greatly annoyed. Why? Because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. The boogeyman shows up when Christ is preached. Those who threaten your life, the bullies that have the power, show up when they get annoyed because you call them sinners in need of repentance. And then in verse 3 it says, and notice that proclaiming Jesus is proclaiming the resurrection. And they arrested them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. Now you might think it's no big deal getting arrested. It's easy to read this and say, no big deal. But they're real people, and those are real authorities, and they really arrested them. And then we read in verse 4, but many of those who had heard the word believed. There's two things the preaching of the gospel does. It either hardens hearts or it softens hearts. Up in verse 2, the leaders were greatly annoyed. But in verse 4, many of those who heard the word believed. And so if you're going to carry the message, you better get thick skin. Without the message, there is no salvation. For the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. But it greatly annoyed the leaders. But many believed, and the number of the men came to about 5,000. On the next day, the rulers and the elders and the scribes gathered together in Jerusalem. Now the big dogs are coming together with Ananias, the high priest, 
and Caiaphas and John and Alexander and all who were of the high priestly family. Something important's going on. And when they had set them in their midst, the apostles in their midst, they inquired, by what power or by what name did you do this? Did you heal this guy? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, now we get another sermon, rulers of the people of, of the people and elders, if we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead. There they go again, right? By him, this man is standing before you. Well, this Jesus was the stone rejected by you. The builders, which has become the cornerstone, which means the religious leaders in Israel is not how God is going to fulfill His promise, but it's through the one they rejected, the cornerstone, the true Israelite, Christ. And then in verse 12, the gospel gets very narrow. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. That's called the exclusivity of the gospel. Liberal Christians believe in the inclusivity of the gospel. That Jesus can save you, but so can Muhammad, and so can Buddha. That's not what the scripture says. The apostles were faithful carriers of the message and they say there is no salvation. There is salvation in no one else for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. How could there be? Because in order to be saved, you need a perfect sacrifice and there's never been a perfect man who is also God to bear the wrath in your place. He's the only way and if you carry that gospel in 2021 in the United States of America, you are a bigot and you are rejected and you are narrow-minded and you are unloving. Verse 13 says, Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, it surprised them and perceived that they were uneducated common men, they were astonished. And they recognized that they had been with Jesus, but seeing the man who was healed standing beside them, they had nothing to say in opposition. But when they had commanded them to leave the council, they conferred with one another saying, what shall we do with these men? For that a notable sign has been performed through them is evident to all in the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. But in order that they may spread no further, or, but in order that it may spread no further among the people, let us warn them to speak no more in his name. So they called them and charged them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. So now the authorities came and they said, you can't say that anymore. It's hate speech. It's dividing Jerusalem. 
Peter and John answered them, Whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. For we cannot but speak of what we've seen and heard. Sorry. We can't help it. (laughs) We saw the miracles. He told us he was going to die and raise, and he did. And he commissioned us right before he went up into heaven to preach the gospel. So you decide what's right. Should we listen to you? Or should we listen to God? And then verse 21, the bullies, when they had, and when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding no way to punish them because of the people, for they were praising God for what had happened. For the man on whom the sign of healing was performed was more than 40 years old. They couldn't deny it. When they were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and elders had said to them. Now I'm telling you, if they did that to Scott and I, and we come to you, and we tell you that we were arrested, and we were thrown in prison, and we were threatened, if we're honest, the church is going to be scared to some degree. Fear might rise up. But when the Spirit is working, look at what happens. So when they reported what the chief priests and elders had said to them, and they heard it, they lifted up their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord! See what they did? They saw the authorities, and then they saw the sovereign king of the universe. And then they reasoned in the scriptures. Sovereign Lord who made heaven and earth and the sea and everything in them. Who through the mouth of our father David your servant said by the Holy Spirit. In Psalm 2. David wrote Psalm 2. But he wrote Psalm 2 as he was led by the Holy Spirit. So Psalm 2 is God's words. Why did the nations rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against His anointed. So they said, God already told us this is going to happen. For truly in this city, there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, with all the Gentiles and all the people of Israel to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. Did Herod and Pontius Pilate and the Gentiles and the people of Israel do what they want to do? Yes, they did. Out of their own freedom of their sinful nature, they did it. And Our God is so sovereign that they did exactly what His predestined plan had planned to take place. And I'm here to tell you, if that's your God, and that's what you remember about the Scripture, boldness, fear can be wiped away. 
And then verse 29 says, And now the Lord looked, or, or they prayed, And now, Lord, look upon their threats. Lord, look at what they're doing to us and grant your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness. You see that? Lord, look at the threats. Look at how they're threatening us. Give us power to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through your name of your holy servant, Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place which they were gathered was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the Word of God with all boldness. Now the full number of those who had believed were of one heart and soul, and no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. And with great power, the apostles were giving testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. They're fulfilling their mission. And great grace was upon them all. And then we get the story of Ananias and Sapphira. We're going to skip that. I want you to pick up in verse 12 of chapter 5. Now many signs and wonders were regularly done among the people by the hands of the apostles. Now here's what you need to know. God gave miraculous signs to the prophets and to the apostles to authenticate the Word of God. And once we had the Scriptures, the Old Testament and New Testament complete, there was no longer the need for the gift of healing and the gift of miracles to be given to the church. God still does miracles. God can still heal. But there's no particular people that have the gift of healing. And the reason why you can know that is it says right there, they were done regularly, all the time. And they were all together in Solomon's portico, and none of the rest dared to join them, but the people held them in high esteem. And more than ever, believers were added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women, so that they even carried the sick into the streets and laid them on cots and mats, that as Peter came by, least his shadow might fall on them. The people also gathered from towns in Jerusalem, bringing the sick and afflicted with unclean spirits, and they were all healed, every one of them. The shadow of Peter falls on them, they're all healed. Why the miracles? They're authenticating the gospel. You and I are built, building on a foundation that's already been laid by the apostles. Their message was authenticated to be the message of Christ because they did the exact same miracles of Christ. And then in verse 17, the monster raises its head again, but the high priest rose up and all who were with him that is, the party of the Sadducees, and filled with jealousy, they arrested the apostles and put them in public prison again. But during the night, the angel of the Lord opened the prison doors and brought them out and said, Go out and stand in the temple and speak to all the people the words of this life, <laughs> the words of the resurrection. Go preach it. 
And when they heard this, they entered the temple at daybreak and began to teach. Now the high priest came and those who were with them, and they called together the council, all this senate of the people of Israel, and sent to the prison to have them brought. But when the officers came, they did not find them in the prison, so they returned and reported, We found the prison securely locked and the guards standing at the doors, but when we opened, we found no one inside. Now when the captain of the temple and the chief priests heard these words, they were greatly perplexed about them, wondering what this would come to. And someone came and told them, Look, the men whom you put in prison are standing in the temple teaching the people. Then the captain with the officers went and brought them, not by force, for they were afraid of the, the, they'd be stoned by the people. And when they had brought them, they set them before the council and the high priest and questioned them, saying, We strictly charge you not to teach in his name. Yet here you have filled Jerusalem with this teaching, with your teaching, and you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. They were listening. (laughs) That's right. That's what he intended to do. But Peter and the apostles answered, we must obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed, by hanging him on a tree. God exalted him at his right hand as leader and savior, leader and savior, like Lord and savior, to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. We are witnesses to these things, and so is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey him. When they heard this, they were enraged and wanted to kill them. And then if you skip down to verse 40, we're running out of time. And when they had called the apostles, they beat them and they charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus. And they let them go. Then they left the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. You think they saw the privilege to share the gospel of Christ? To be a weirdo. And every day in the temple from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that the Christ is Jesus. The mission. As D.L. Moody, the great evangelist in Chicago, walked down a Chicago street one day, He walked up to a man and asked him if he were a Christian. And the fellow raised his fist and exclaimed angrily, You mind your own business. This is my business, said Moody. The man said, Then you must be D.L. Moody. D.L. Moody had a reputation that his business was sharing the gospel of Christ. Charles Spurgeon, one of the greatest soul winners there ever was, said this, Oh, my brothers and sisters in Christ, if sinners will be damned, at least let them leap to hell over our bodies. And if they perish, let them perish with our arms about their knees, imploring them to stay. 
and not madly to destroy themselves. If hell must be filled, at least let us be filled in the teeth of our exertions and let not one go there unwarned and unprayed for. Spurgeon said, I believe God's blessing the actual work of your hand. He waters not the seed which we are talking of sowing, but that which we actually scatter. Now you might believe that you should share the gospel, but he waters the word that actually gets sown. And you've been given the mission where you work, your neighbors, your family members, it will cost you. You will be a stranger and an alien. You'll be at odds with this world. But who will you tremble before? Man or Christ who bled and died for your sins and was raised, who gave you the spirit and the power of the resurrection to proclaim the gospel? The message you want to know what the message is, go read Peter's sermons that we just read. We're sinners. Christ died under the wrath of God according to the Scriptures. He's raised from the dead. If you repent and trust in Him, you'll have salvation. The privilege, the privilege, after witnessing to a band of people that had murdered some foreigners, the great evangelist David Livingston wrote, I had more ordinary pleasure in telling these murderers of the precious blood which cleanses from all sin. I bless God that He has conferred on one so uh, worthless the distinguished privilege and honor of being the first messenger of mercy that had ever trod these regions. How could I be worthy to carry the message? Spurgeon says, if we had preached to a thousands to thousands year after year and never rescued but one soul, that one soul would be full award for all our labor. For a soul is of countless price. Spurgeon says of the privilege, he says, well, this joy, overwhelming as it is, is a hungry sort of joy. You want more of it. For the more you have of the spiritual children, the more your soul desires to to see them multiplied. Let me tell you that to be a soul winner is the happiest thing in the world. And with every soul you bring to Jesus Christ, you seem to get a new heaven, new heaven here on earth. But what will the joy of soul be when we're up above? But if we're honest, there's also pain. Spurgeon says, I cannot believe that you ever pluck a brand from the burning without putting your hand near enough to feel the heat of the fire. You must have more or less a distinct sense of the dreadful wrath of God and of the terrors of judgment, or you'll lack energy in your work and so lack one of the essentials of success. If you don't realize that they're going to hell for all eternity, you won't go get burned in a moment as you're trying to witness to them and bring them. If you long to save men's souls, you must tell them a great deal of disagreeable truth, says Charles Spurgeon, which is why there's suffering, which comes from preaching the gospel. I want to close with this. As a steward of our finances, as though saved by the grace of God, 
We are buying the Aberdeen American News Building. We view our lives as worship to God, that we'll give an account even for how we used our finances for the kingdom. It is in a sense, ironically, this building, a sort of metaphor. It's the Aberdeen American News Building. News came forth from this building. Now here's my charge. Now let's steward our time and our lives to be faithful ambassadors witnessing to the good news of Christ wherever by God's providence we find ourselves. If we buy that building and we put a gospel message on the side of it and you and I are just merely thankful for the forgiveness of our sins and we don't realize the incredible privilege we have to carry the gospel. It'll be a sad day for sovereign grace. But I believe that building was purchased by an act of selfless trust in God. And I believe the message will come forth from you and from I as we fear man less as we realize the realities of the devastation this world's facing and that the message has been put in your hand. So ask yourself, who do I need to talk to? Who do I need to explain the gospel to? You might say, well, I need, I need to come and get help. I, I want to know how to do it. Well, then come and get help. Because there is no other one that God is calling. He's calling you and He's calling me. And He's given us the Spirit and He's given us the Word of God and He's given us a great cloud of witnesses that have taken this message to the ends of this earth so that we're here today. Father, I pray that we would be trusting in You ourselves personally that our life would be anchored into your hope. And Father, make us selfless. Make us passionate ambassadors and faithful ministers of your word. Father, we can argue about so many things and be passionate about so many things. But Lord, let us be passionate first and foremost about the most important message that's been put in our hands. Forgive us for our lethargy. And Father, give us courage and boldness to spread the message. I pray this in Christ's name. Amen.